This is The Global Gambit. In The Global Gambit podcast, we focus on the big picture of geopolitics, foreign policy and current affairs. Each episode, your host, Piotr Kurzin, brings you interviews and panels with top-tier academics, journalists and policymakers. Seeking to make sense of the news, go beyond what's presented to us and question and critically analyse these matters. This is The Global Gambit. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Global Gambit. And this is a really interesting conversation that we've got coming up. Osna is unprecedented. If you don't know what that means, don't worry. I wasn't really aware of what it meant, but it stands for open source intelligence. And uh, this is something that we have seen come to the fray in the Ukrainian war more than at any other time, much like the events of Vietnam or the Gulf War for, say, the 24-hour continuous coverage that CNN uh, delivered in the 90s. Osnet is something that has really played, uh, I think, a, uh, un- it's difficult to really put into words how influential it is in this war uh, and, and, and in the future of intelligence analysis more broadly. Whilst in the past, watching the war through your TV set was quite passive. You couldn't directly do anything. Osnet gives us all as individuals the opportunity to influence direction of a battlefield. Um, just for example, in the early hours of 24th of February, just before the start of the invasion, uh, Osnet researchers at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey in California used Google Maps to truck a significantly large traffic jam on a road in Russia leading to the Ukrainian border. Jeffrey Lewis, one of the senior members of the organization, tweeted that at the time, quote, someone's on the move. And then, and then an hour later, the Russians had invaded Ukraine. Bellingcat is another example of one of these grassroots initiatives that has become a absolutely core fundamental part of uh, USNET and uh, supporting intelligence analysis, developing interactive maps on all forms of targets, groups, movements, and so on, uh, and allow and are even working on the opportunity to develop um, authentic to be able to authenticate war crime footage. I think it's difficult to really put into words, as I say, just the the, the impact of this. Onyx is another one which is given prominency uh, and has been quoted, but at the same time, with that prominency comes a degree of irony because. Many, many main media outlets have covered the war and they use the information gathered by these organisations or individuals even without necessarily then giving them much airtime coverage. I very see actually rarely people who lead the work in these areas being interviewed or asked for their opinion. So there's a weird disconnect. And I want to cover some of that tonight, as well as some of the ethics and complications and the future of Osnet as well. And joining me tonight are three main guests that I've been very glad to have gotten to know in their work, which is Osnet Defender, the Intel Hub and Spook, each of whom provides something unique but very, very crucial to the work on Twitter and across the international internet, rather, well, in the international community, given that some of this work is happening globally. Thanks very much for joining me, guys. Jumping straight into it, Spook, I want to come to you because you helped me facilitate this, but... For you guys, what does Osnet actually mean to you? When you started doing this, I know on your profile, Spook, you mentioned you started in November when the build-up to Russia started, but what do you get, what got you into it? Can you can you take me and some of the listeners, and both who are in it, but also completely don't know what Osnet is about, what, what drew you into it? And then we'll bounce to the other two. Just to preface a little bit. So I made this account in November because I was sick of watching the war from my personal account. So I basically just made this account just so I could basically consolidate all of the information into one place as opposed to using my personal account and then having like the people I know in real life see the things that I'm actually up to. OSINT, for anybody that doesn't know, is just open source intelligence. That's what it stands for. It's one of the main sources of intelligence that world agencies around the world, um, nonprofits use, even corporations use. It's scouring everything from publicly available documents to media to social media posts. Uh, like you said, Piotr, even little things like traffic indicators on Google Maps. Um, it's using everything that is available to the average civilian um, and using that to paint a broad and and sometimes a, a very uh, a very hashed out plan or analysis or, or 
or anything else that you could do with the data. Thank you for that. Um, sorry, Twitter Space is giving me some great uh, so, um, glitches already. But Intel Hub, I think you were probably the first person I actually ever interacted who who had a large scale, you know, presence on 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 Twitter. How did you get into it? Are you similar to Spook, or or have you been doing this? for a longer period of time? I guess the best way to put it is, so I, I started my account back in 2020. I, I saw other Russian accounts in my line of work uh, using them as sources um, to help make products uh, for decision makers. So I, that's when I started back in 2020. I didn't really jump all the way into it until probably about August, September of last year when, when I noticed all the indicators were in line for, for invasion. And as we got closer to December and into January and February, the indicators were stacking up like crazy. And at that point, I, I, I was in a position in which I was able to confidently make an assessment that Ukraine was in fact going to get invaded by Russia. And around that period is when I actually met Osin Defender. We started talking, same with All Source, Spook, Grammar, uh, Patrick Fox, anyone and everyone that I hasn't men- haven't mentioned that I retweeted. Um, that's that's when that group of people kind of came around. We all started talking and, and working together because uh, OSINT's really a com- it's, it's a community thing. I'm not going to be able to catch every single thing going on in the world, but there's a whole bunch of accounts out there that are tracking different portions of, of the information space. And together we're able to you know work together, uh, share informa- information and provide. Um, my goal at least is to provide accurate assessments. We all kind of have our own little niche and mine is, I like to think mine's definitely more the military side because it's my background, as well as just overall assessments and courses of action for how it could play out in the future. Awesome. Thanks, man. Um, and then Defender, you're the largest of the accounts that's joined us here tonight. And, you know, you have what 170,000 people who follow the things that you're posting um, and, and the information you're sharing. How How do you manage that? How have you gotten into it? And how, as the account has grown, have you adjusted uh not just personally but also with what you've been posting or as the war has gone on and this is a, a second question I, I'll, I'll pass back to the other two is how have you uh, evolved in your approach to sort of uh sourcing information and and, and check, uh, fact checking it so to speak it's it's hard to get into um because starting out like i kind of intel did um i created this account initially uh, watching the buildup of Russian forces in Belarus and uh, in in Russia prior to the invasion uh, or the renewed invasion of Ukraine in uh, in February, uh, I, I never expected it to get this big. Obviously, uh, I expected to to stay a smaller account because I mean, for years I've been looking I've been looking towards the bigger OSIN accounts uh, just because I, I've. I have an intelligence background and a military background, so I uh, I love to keep track of what's going on in the world. That's just something that I love. I love geopolitics. I love uh, military strategy. I, I love all that kind of stuff. And uh, looking at some of the bigger accounts that I've followed for years, like uh, OSINT Technical or the Intel Crab is a, is a big one who's kind of like a, a foundational uh, member of the OSINT community or Intel Doge or uh, I mean, I mean, there's there's tons, of, tons and tons of them. I, I followed them for years and I thought I could kind of step into it since I, I did have a, a little bit of experience in that field. Uh, and I started out with uh, primarily geolocating movements in Russia and Belarus, uh, train tracking, aircraft tracking. Uh, I mean, we'd me and grammar and Intel I mean, we'd, we'd be up <laughs> all night, some nights before the invasion, tracking flights and tracking cameras and track. I mean, it was, it, it was exhilarating. Like, I, I loved it, honestly. And then I guess after the invasion happened, I mean, we were, we were on a, uh, a space the night that the invasion happened. We watched the lights go out at the, uh, at the border checkpoints into Crimea. And we knew, we, we immediately knew something was happening. I mean, we, we watched the entire invasion firsthand. I, I don't think I slept except for six hours, the first uh, four or five days of the invasion. I mean, it was, it was so, so hectic and, and so much information coming in. Um, and I think that's when my account kind of blew up is around then is when people started to realize not, not just people uh, that follow us, but people like uh, 
Fox News commentators or people who have studied strategic interest for years or people that are in the geopolitics, uh, people that have been saying that this invasion would never happen, now realize that they had not been looking in the right place and that the people who had been looking in the right place, I mean, were, were on Twitter, were on Reddit, were on 4chan. I mean, all, all of these smaller sites that had been watching this and saying this is going to happen, uh, it, it doesn't matter how sane it is. It matters what we are seeing now and what we think is going to happen. And, and that's, that's truly what, uh, what occurred. I, I can't remember the, the one tweet that kind of threw me over the edge. I think it was about a week of like multiple tweets um, that kind of put me over. Uh, sadly, I haven't really been able to continue with what I was doing uh, before the invasion, which was like using geolocating to track videos and cameras and using satellite screenshots to uh, track where strikes were happening. Um, I sadly haven't been able to do much of that because I've just been so busy uh, with work and just how expanded the words become. It, it, it's not really possible. Um, I tried to do it for about a month, but it, it kind of became impossible. And then I had about a, a three-month hiatus that I just got back from uh, around three weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly been amazing to be able to let the world know. Because I, I feel like OSINT's become a massive part of anybody on Twitter's kind of uh, environment. I mean, you've got the traditional Twitter communities artists and uh, filmmakers, and they're all in these little communities. And I feel like OSINT has become a large part of the Twitter community just because of this war and, and future ones to come. Like people follow me that I would never expect to follow me. Um, I, I don't want to say who any of those people are, but I, I just personally never expect any of those people to follow me. And they follow me now um, because how ingrained OSINT has become into what actually matters and what we're seeing evolving in the world uh, and, and what, what we will see in the world to come. Thank you for that. Um, all of you guys, it's incredibly, I think, humbling how you, you know, it's quite clearly that this was something you just came together through very much circumstantial. Um, and, you know, for me, I was doing my own version. And this sort of brings me into another question, um, which I'd love to hear, Spook, I'll come to you. But what role do you think this audio aspect has had? Like, you guys are clearly very act mainly on active on Twitter. I'm sure it's possible on Discord or other, other things. I was mainly on Clubhouse, which was the precursor to Twitter Spaces, right? The original creator of social audio in quotation marks. Do you think that this community of intelligent sharing and building um, would have been possible without this sort of audible spec, or you would have worked a way around it anyway? Just curious for your thoughts, Spook. Argue that it, I don't think it makes that much difference. The, there have been groups, and there's groups that me, Intel Hub, and Defender are all in that predate spaces ever existing. And Discord channels have existed and still exist. Um, Bellingcat, Project Owl, um, Defender Dome is one that OSINT Defender made. Those have all, uh, besides the Defender Dome, have all predated Clubhouse, predated spaces. I, I, I would... I would argue that without spaces and stuff, I don't think it would be as mainstream. Um, I don't think the war would have had as much intention as it, it's having now because the pundits, the politicians, the policymakers, those were people checking out our spaces, checking out OSINT Defender spacing, spaces, checking out Intel Hub spaces, uh, grammar spaces back in um, pre-war and uh, the days following it. I don't think... Like if you if you think about it logically, those people go to work, right? They nine to five, um, and then they go home and they forget about what whatever's happening, unless it's like high stress. They were jumping into our space to get the update and see where things are at <laughs> uh, when they're home, and not getting updates from their boss or not getting updates from the intel sharing that that they were used to. So I, I think it was I think it's been fundamental for uh, how wars will play out in the future and how information will be shared in the future um, and how ingrained intel sharing will become um just to from civilian to civilian even very interesting um and intel coming to you just to build on what spook was saying um the defense intelligence agency that i read earlier today uh stated that they reckon 80 percent of their intelligence will come from open source material how do you feel about that how, how do you resonate with what defender and spook have said do you have any differing thoughts i mean coming from 
the military side of the intelligence community um, in the past, I could definitely say that OSINT has a major role in the intelligence capability and the, the rise of commercial satellites, uh, satellite imagery um, on top of just kind of the, the human aspect of the, the videos from the ground coming in. The OSINT community being able, being able to work together and paint a, an overall picture takes a lot of the workload off the analysts inside the agencies that are able to, to essentially, you know, look through those threads, look through those videos, uh, through those, that imagery that might some, some random OSINT dude decided to collect. I think that plays a big part now. It's going to play a really big part, part in the future also. A lot more so than, than most people actually realize. Uh, just because of the fact that it's able to decrease the workload off of other analysts. Interesting. I um, I think this is an important conversation because we're doing it. You're all doing it, and and we're just waking up and we're monitoring what's going on. Well, I'm not. I'm I'm not. I'm by no means as tech savvy as you guys. But like, you know, you guys are waking up. You're doing it. Everybody in here likely is doing it or contributing to it in some way. Um, but I think it's important to take that moment to sort of uh, reflect on it and, and, and analyze it for itself as well as what it's being used for. And this brings me to another part of the conversation. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're having a, a chat with three of the, uh, I think, most uh, influential and important uh, members of the Austinet community uh, for sharing, you know, what it's like to actually work in this, do it uh, either on the side or, you know, in, in any capacity. And, 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 where we think it's going to go, um, what it's been like for um, uh, Defender, for Spook, for uh, the Intel Hub, um, and and how they balance that. But now I want to go into something slightly more. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the other side, which is that the positive positive factors of this are undeniable. But how do we balance that with potential information overload? How do we balance that with that? There is so much information coming out that we don't know what is true and what isn't true. Most of it, I now 100% can ensure that you guys verify everything you put out. But, you know, someone will see something that you've shared or someone else has partially shared and they want to get that information out before it's been fully verified. How do you guys feel about that? Um, uh, maybe uh, Defender, I can come to you first. What, what are your thoughts about the you know balancing of getting information out but making sure that it's accurate? This this has been one of the hardest parts, I think, of of being such a large account. I think it'd be easier if I wasn't such a large account because I wouldn't have to worry about everything get, getting aggregated uh, so much that I post. Like like today was one of those times when I kind of had, I, I was thinking about deleting a tweet, but I ended up just posting kind of a correction within the thread. There was that there was a lot of rumors about what was going on near Kyrgyzstan, and there was a lot of Russian and Ukrainian telegram accounts that were posting uh, that Ukrainian forces had made it, had, had pushed past a town that they had taken near the, uh, the, the defensive front lines and had made it to a... Uh, a town about uh, 75 kilometers from the original defensive front lines and posting that and then slowly looking at what was actually going on and realizing that that may have not been fully true. Uh, It's, it's hard, especially when there is good information in what you are posting and you don't want to delete the post because then the information that you gave out that was good uh, people may look at and it, it, it may be gone. Um, and that's one thing that I try never to do is to delete posts. Uh, I may get people angry at me sometimes for not deleting posts, but if I delete posts, I feel like I'm, I'm almost deleting a part of history here, I guess, even if it is not true or even if it, it has uh, falsities in it. Uh, I, I feel like it is still part of the, the the situation on the ground in this fog of war that is going on. I mean, there's so much. I mean, we're not on the ground. Me, Intel, Spook, we're not on the ground. We get our information from sources that are on the ground or maybe even sources that are telling sources that they're on the ground. Uh, it, it's it's so, so hard to determine what is really going on when you're not actually there. And, I mean, that doesn't even get into the uh, – the situation of people posting directly or purposefully false information, like we've had multiple accounts uh, that have popped up on Twitter in the last 
six to eight months that have talked about being on the ground in Ukraine and doing this and doing that um, when it's complete bullshit. When, or I'm sorry, when it's not true at all, when, uh, they're not on the ground and they're posting information that muddies the water and, and kind of confuses everything. And that doesn't even get into the counterintelligence side of both Ukraine and Russia trying to put information out there that both isn't true, that is trying to confuse the other. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very hard to differentiate that information. And that's one of the reasons why I try to, uh, why I and other OSINT accounts try to put disclaimers that information is not verified. Like if something is verified, I will. I usually don't say that it's verified, but if I know something is not verified, then I make it clear that it is not verified. I'll put unconfirmed or I'll put claims or I'll put something that will uh, will alert people to that. But um, I personally feel like that's one of the hardest hardest parts of uh, of this whole community and in, in, uh, aggregation. No, I, I, well, I, I think it is, and that's that's why I wanted uh, to get to the crux of it. Um, I frank, I appreciate your frankness. Don't worry about you know you swear as much as you need or you want. It's uh, you you guys have probably seen some things that some of us wouldn't be able to. Um, and with that in mind, Spook, you're the one who I think is infamous on the on the site at least Twitter for sharing some of the most difficult things. I know your Telegram you share really really um, you know the imagery is 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 wow it's it's tough. But you know how about you? Do you feel that too much information can be sometimes counterproductive? Yes. Yes, I do. So I think the three of us, we all we all do similar things, so to speak, on Twitter. Uh, but our expertise is, is wildly different. Like Intel Hub can give great analysis. OSINT Defender can give great analysis. Um, I, I myself am not a person that can give excellent analysis. It's not my background. But the issue, kind of like what Defender was saying previously, is that there are OSINs become such a mainstream thing that anybody can throw OSINT in their name or throw OSINT in their bio and go and spread misinformation, whether or not it's intentional or, or, or whatnot is, is based on the user. But the information is out there nonetheless, and then it's spread and spread quickly. For the work that I do, I have to verify each and every picture, and I have to make sure that what I'm posting is legitimate. Um, and for all that don't know, my expertise is I am the only person in the world that has the actual true count of Russian casualties within Ukraine. Any government is just estimating. They don't actually have a real number. But I'm the person that actually uses open source intelligence and only media. So I don't use documents because those can be forged. Um, I know photos can be faked, but it's it's hard to fake somebody who's, you know, decapitated. So my work is is paramount and is used by intelligence agencies around the world and is used by non nonprofits around the world and NGOs. Um, and it's used by civilians as well. Uh, notably, we're talking about late April, there was an article in New York Times where this this woman whose uncle was in U- was in Ukraine fighting. They immigrated to the United States uh, a couple decades ago, but they still stayed in touch. And then they found out that they're their relative was killed in Ukraine using Telegram. So the work that I do is is overshadowed by that. And it's also very important that, like I said, everything is super accurate because I am the sole per- person posting this imagery. And I have a great responsibility of, of making sure that the count is accurate and making sure that um, I'm not spreading misinformation because... It, it can be detrimental. Um, the things that I post to a people's psychology, uh, as well as movements on the ground. Like I just to, to paraphrase, I guess the the more accounts that that prop up, the the more misinformation will spread, and the more vigilant the larger accounts such as myself, OSINT Defender, and Intel Hub have to be, both in regulating ourselves, but also regulating what we share um, from those other accounts. Thanks for that, Spook. Um... Yeah, I mean, you have, what, 12,500 people in your Telegram, and that is, you know, I joined it a while ago. I went on it the first time. Woof, I needed a, I needed a strong whiskey after that. Um, and, it's you know, it, it's 
I don't know. I've, I've seen some things. I've been some places, but some of the imagery you, you share there is, is very powerful. And, and those twelve and a half thousand people, uh, you know, are seeing things that I think a lot of people wouldn't be able to. But it's it, it's the it's the truthness of war. It's what's actually going on. We we can talk about it from a uh, big picture of the maps or from the media and talk about it in numbers. But to actually see what the physical I don't even really know the words to use, is, uh, is, is, is extremely powerful. So, no, I, I, I value your perspective. And to bring this another point in before I bring you in, Intel, because I want your take, is, is also just the, 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 the potential threat that it could bring to, uh, to the strategical side, the tactical side. From what I understand, um, some Ukrainian citizens have actually called for OpenStreetMap one of these uh, resources to stop actually updating it at uh, times in the past, um, because otherwise the Russians would have been able to use it to plan their own use or even manipulate the maps to, to, to provide, you know, misinformation, disinformation. So uh, the Ukrainians themselves, the, the, the uh, Ministry of uh, Digital Transformation, for example, is pretty cagey about the information it shares about, say, POW numbers uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, you, Intel, from your perspective, uh, you know, information too much, uh, how do we balance uh, using open source responsibly, but also to maximum effect? How do you feel about it? That's a big question. As far as too much information goes or information overload or overreporting, something like that. Um, first of all, circular reporting, something that is in every portion of the intelligence community. Uh, you're always going to have circular reporting. You're, gonna, you're always going to have overreporting. Uh, it's just kind of magnified on Twitter because of, the the large increase in, in accounts that that are you know trying trying to fight Russian propaganda and trying to spread information for what's actually happening on the battlefield. So there's always going to be lots of reporting, and I don't think that's a bad thing, um, as long as you know the accounts verify to the best of their capability what's actually going on. I mean, it's pretty easy to tell when it when an account's re- uh, reputable or not just by scrolling through their feed. If their feed's full of stuff that's accurate and stuff that's happened and assessments are right what they're posting is probably already vetted and probably good. If it's kind of all over the place and not accurate, then probably not a good source. In regards to, I think you're kind of hinting at OPSEC. The, the, the one thing I will say is really touchy subject because I know, first of all, when, when, when this invasion first kicked off and in the days leading up to it, myself, OSINT Defender, Spook, um, all the major OSINT accounts, and many other accounts all committed to not providing locations of Ukrainian forces because we don't want to assist Russians, obviously. But with that also comes strikes, videos of strike footage, stuff like that. I think that that's vital to be able to actually figure out where it is and what happened. Um, because as a notion account, even though we, we, we want Ukraine to win, we're still impartial to the truth. And I'm not going to post something that is a liar inaccurate, I'm going to post something that's facts, despite of the side. For example, one thing I took lots of criticism for was, was when one of the Ukrainian malls got hit, uh, but there ended up being footage showing Ukrainian fires assets that were that were hidden inside the mall. Took a lot of heat for that, but but I stand by my assessment for that. It, it was it was targeting by Russia's end. It was good targeting. Ukraine probably shouldn't have moved them into the mall. It's a valid target. So I think that. On the troop side of the house, when it comes to, you know, what we're posting, we, we have to be careful, obviously, not to give up, you know, Ukrainian positions because we don't want them to, you know, receive fires uh, when, when they don't have to. But when it comes to, you know, post-strike assessment, stuff like that, I, as a community, we should be able to actually see what's going on to provide an accurate uh, situation and picture for both sides. Because at least me and, and, and the vast majority of OSINT accounts, we are focused on providing the truth, uh, if we like the truth or not. And I, I get a lot of hate for it because as an analyst, uh, someone that's actually been in the IC, IC before, when you're conducting analysis, you don't conduct it based off what you want or based off you. You, you conduct it based off the enemy. You conduct it based off what you think the enemy is going to do. You get in their head. So generally, the, I, I get lots of kind of shit for that. Uh, but in, in the, in the, such as before the invasion, got lots of heat for it, but Russia ended up invading and where we're at right now used to get lots of heat for that. But now that, you know, the, the rest of the IC and, and political figures are starting to come out about, you know, the risk of escalation, uh, people are starting to realize that, Hey, maybe, maybe this was right. 
It's not an easy question. I think that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good go at it. Um, Spook, uh, defender, do you guys have any thoughts that you wanted to add to to what Intel said to that other element I I, I chucked in? Um, yeah, I, I can kind of comment on that a little bit, and I hundred percent agree with Intel. I uh, him and me actually talked about that a lot when the mall was hit. Uh, we we honestly talk to each other a good bit whenever it comes to ethics and like what is going on currently in Ukraine and how ethically we can stay non-partial uh, because it's, it's hard after seeing so much of the stuff that goes on there, especially from, from Russian forces. It's hard to stay as impartial as you can say, as you as you can stay. But like the mall attack, there was, uh, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of, Things that may not look the best on Ukraine that we've posted, and I don't regret posting any of those because, again, this is this is history. Uh, we are trying. I mean, in this age, we are trying to make sure that there is, of course, both sides being seen. Clearly, right now, there's one side that is an aggressor, and there's one side that is defending our country. But of course, there's still going to be terrible things that happen either way from both sides. Uh, and, and it's good to be able to track this. Like during World War II, most of the stuff that I'm sure happened by Allied forces probably wasn't reported on and will never, ever be reported on because it wasn't – they didn't have the ability to report on it like we do now. Um, it, it may have been completely covered up by whoever you want to say may have needed to cover it up at that time. Um, and, and now it's the evidence of it is probably gone. It's probably been wiped away. But uh, either way, I, I, I like to. Uh, I, I, it's I, I like to stay as impartial as possible, even though I am fully on the side of Ukraine. Is is what I like to say. So I am an impartial uh, supporter of Ukraine. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate that, mate. And you, you, you bring in a, an element that I, I wanted to touch upon, which is just—it's the for me. It's uh, you know, you mentioned you—you've got a military background, or you've done things in this area before. Um, and you know, I think uh, quite a few people have had that either academically or, or served or seen some kind of military exposure, right? Um, but for me, someone who studied strategic studies and the relationship of the politics to the military, uh, it's really, really uh, important—the the distinction between how. Uh, open source intelligence has influenced both elements to this you know um in the military sense it's been absolutely critical um and 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 and, you know you've seen the direct response that the ukrainian military has had but also in the political members uh, as high as the foreign minister of ukraine have you know joined in on the uh, on the movement shall we call it with the with the nafo fellas um, and you know, for my listeners on the podcast, NAFO Fellas is a um, is a is a is a part of of the open source and sort of social media response that came out of uh, of the war, um, uh, which which has garnered you know these memes, these uh, these uh, characters. Uh, and I know I will be offending some people who are listening, going, "Dude, you're doing a terrible job of describing it." But I'm trying to make it um, accessible for people who perhaps have no idea what I'm talking about, right? But it's a NAFO standing for the North Atlantic Fellows Organization, uh, and 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 just how much it's grown amongst people, be it in sort of some of these 24-hour rooms that go, or just as individuals wanting to show their solidarity through physical memorabilia. This is not a subject that has been enough discussed. I was able to find one podcast on one major outlet, namely The Economist, that was talking about it. But other than that, I found blogs and some secondary outlets that have talked about it in sort of passing. But not enough for me that illustrates that this is something that has a powerful, powerful impact on the state and direction of the war, but yet isn't being covered enough. And, and also, I think, acknowledged just in a sort of, you know, for the for the important role it's having. So, guys, I want to, you know, we touched upon some of the difficulties, or shall we say, feedback that you get. And I want to ask you potentially a curveball question. Now, you know, you guys remain relatively anonymous, shall we say, um, on these very, very public platforms, but you're still building up a presence. As I said, each of you has tens of thousands, if not 100,000 followers. It's a lot of people following you and paying attention. And when you put yourself out there, that receives positive and negative feedback, hate, threats, 
so on. I, for one, just as a personal anecdote for you listening, both on Twitter and uh, um, uh, the podcast, uh, I reached a lifetime achievement award of being officially designated a Russian foreign asset. Um, uh, and therefore, you know, I, I work apparently for the Kremlin, but I've also been accused of working for ISI in Pakistan when I've done coverage on Afghanistan. And I've also been accused of working for the TPLF when I've covered things on Ethiopia. So apparently, I work for every organization in the world. Aside from that, you guys, I was wondering if you're willing, would you, I'd love to hear about things, some stupid responses you've had from people or, you know, groups or whatever, observers about the work that you're doing. If you're not comfortable sharing, that's perfectly fine. But I thought, you know, it'd be an interesting question to share nonetheless. So Defender, should we come to you? I wonder what you've, what you've experienced. I try and stay as anonymous as possible. I'm sure if somebody wanted to find out who I was, they, they could like directly. Um, but I really haven't had too many communications with anybody who's had issues with me. It's very rare that I get into any sort of confrontation um, with people on this app. I, again, I try and stay as newsy as possible. Uh, I know I know a couple other people. Uh, <laughs> cough, cough, Good spook. One. They get into the trolling side and the side uh, that causes a little bit more drama. Um, but I, I, I try and stay out of that uh, as much as possible. I've had a couple of DM conversations with uh, senators before that weren't very happy with what I was posting. Um, I had a, it was a minister from uh, the Ukrainian government message me and he wasn't very happy about what I would, that, that I was posting videos of strikes. Uh, I know Intel talked about that earlier and that I wasn't blurring out the images. But again, most of the the time I get these DMs and and I I don't open them. Uh, I have hundreds of thousands of DMs and I I, I just, I think it's better if I don't open them and interact with people that may want to just start an argument or cause an argument. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, I I try and stay out of the drama. (laughs) <laughs> I, I hey i i tried messaging you many moons ago and i understand now why you know you haven't got back to me that is fair enough um but you mentioned spook spook you and i i think we've had some interesting uh encounters with a certain group of people on this uh on this platform at this point i'm not going to name names if you feel you wish to you're more than welcome but um would you like to i don't know share your perspectives on the on the on the question i asked the defender yeah, um, if you're talking about people confronting me, um, I've been confronted by a lot of people. Uh, my, one of my first interviews I did uh, about the project I was doing, somebody said I gamified the war in that I just do this because I'm a necrophiliac. Um, so I get that quite a bit, you know, because of what I do. But to touch on what Ocean Defender says, it is Twitter, you know? Like, I don't, I don't take myself too seriously. And I don't think anybody really should. And I know that's a little bit of sacrilege in, in the space that we're talking on right now. But if everything is just doom and gloom, and I and I definitely see more doom than 99.99% of the population, then it's just you're going to put yourself in a depressive state. I, I, I try to be lighthearted a lot, and I, I often get into arguments because it's hilarious, and I often shitpost because it's hilarious. But if I didn't do that, I, I, I wouldn't have any other way to cope. Um, I'd have to be in therapy or something. Um, and I guess I'll just end it there. But yeah, I mean, I get confronted by people all the time. I've had, just like Ocean Defender, I've had people that are senators. Or <laughs> I, I once had the foreign minister uh, of Poland reach out to me about what I'm doing is is not in any way, shape, or form assisting Ukraine. But I, I, I tend to argue. Uh, the contrary, because I'm I'm actually showing what's happening on the ground in, in a very direct sense. Yeah, uh, and I no, I I resonate with that completely. As I say, you and I have had um, I don't know if we've ever talked about it completely, but um, you know, it's it's uh, there's a, there's a, there's certain communities on here that begin to work within the same sort of space but actually counterproductively almost deliberately with malicious intent which i find bizarre and then they sort of add you to a list um designating you a certain asset of x y and z or sort of doing the complete opposite which is if they even remotely looked at your feed or your telegram or anything relating to that as well as mine uh, it's quite clear that it's the opposite but intel hub 
perhaps not as controversial as myself or Spooks. Uh, where do you sit on this? Have you had any um, bizarre experiences with being in the open source community, uh, you know, work? I mean, I think we're all kind of in the same boat. Um, if I went through my DMs right now, probably 70% of them would be telling me to go fuck myself or that I'm an idiot. Uh, the other 25 is people thanking me. Um, from from how it started to where we are now, we have to remember we're in the 21st century. There, the information warfare is a major thing, and there's useful idiots on both sides. Some accounts are, are definitely more shifted towards, I, I would say, the information warfare side of the house rather than the OSIP side of the house. Some accounts will, will feed you one thing the entire time. Meanwhile, there's another side of the story that you should be listening to that, that could be potentially more concerning or, or bear light to something that could happen down the road. Um, and I, I think with the, with the OSINT community itself, we, we try to stay focused on providing a narrative that is free of biases, even though we support Ukraine. Yeah, it's a tough one. Well, it's not a tough one in the sense of it's risky for you as an individual. Can you have that mental capacity and, and ability to, to deal with the, the potential hate that you get? Um, but equally, you don't want to be um, deterred from doing it because you want to help and, 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 and everything. Um, and this leads me to the last question I have um, for you guys before I open up to some fellow members of the own sick community who have joined us. Because uh, I'd love to hear their takes and also anything that, you know, question or pushbacks. But, you know, as I mentioned before, I, I work in the bigger picture working in the UN sort of diplomatic field is a world away from this. The UN is vastly out modernized or under modernized, outdated. And for me, um, Defender, you touched upon it at the very beginning of our discussion, which is the of OSNET um, and open source and the communities that have developed around it. This war will not go on forever. And ideally it would end now, but, you know, when it does eventually end, the communities that have been built around it, will they last? And if so, how? Will they go over to other conflicts, which are as, you know, potentially uh, devastating for those affected, but perhaps don't have the same global ramifications? Or uh, will people not find the same ability to do it because it was sort of a when you're in the moment sort of thing? And for me, it also, there's two questions here. The first one that I've just mentioned, but the second also... What do you guys think about how we go forward from here in terms of this is very much a this is developed in the moment, but we don't necessarily have a a, a regulatory framework. We don't have a uh, a handbook by which to operate. And I'm not saying that we sort of clamp down and remove any capacity for average people to go and help people who are under uh, besiegement, for example. But there clearly needs to be some reflections, I think, uh, in in light of these developments. Um, you know, the, the growth of Web three for example, and just the over, you know, growing role of technology in all our lives. So what do you think about the future uh, and, 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 and how communities will last together? First question. But second question, how we, you know, ensure it's as effective as possible and responsible in, in, in its usage going from here. So um, let's go to uh, Spook. Let's start with you and then we'll see. I, I think OSINT has become kind of the forefront now in, in the information space when it comes to conflicts. I don't think it's going to phase out. For my account personally, I, I've been told when I was doing an interview, I was in touch with somebody at Twitter Safety, and I was told explicitly that once my once this war has either A, settled down to being like a stale conflict and there's no real need for an update, um, or if the war concludes that my account is going to be basically destroyed and <laughs> I'll never have access to it again and it'll just be archived. Um, I, I've come to accept that. Um, I think the community will continue. Um, I know I've made a lot of friends in this community. OSINT Defender and and, uh, and Intel Hub, we all are in a group chat. We all have each other's telephone numbers. Like We all know each other's names in real life. So I, I would consider them friends, and I, I would consider them close to me to the point where even if we're gone off the platform or, or OSINT isn't something that we want to carry out in the future, I think we're all still going to communicate. And, and with that said... I'd love to hear what, what OSINT Defender and Intel Hub have to say about this, um, but I, I don't personally see it ever ever fading away. Uh, I'm sorry, well, sorry, not sorry, if that because, it, you know, the, the, the account's going to be taken away. I mean, it's amazing that you've even had that sort of information given to you so 
uh, up front, but that's that's very interesting. Um, Intel Hub, what are your thoughts? Uh, exactly what Spook said. Uh, the community, like people, would be shocked at the amount of OSINT accounts that are in group chats with each other, that talk to each other all the time, that you know, kind of war game stuff out with each other. Um, because anyone that's been an analyst for a day knows that one analyst, you can be the best analyst ever. I don't care who you are. You can be the best analyst ever, but you're going to miss something. And generally nine times out of 10, when there's three analysts together, they're not going to be able to agree on one thing right off the bat. But after, you know, a nice little argument or a, a lively discussion, uh, there, there's going to be all of a sudden windows open up and you're like, Oh, you know what? That's a solid point you know what, I'm going to adjust my way of thinking because that, what you just said or what you just said, and everyone kind of comes up to a general uh, a general conclusion. As far as, you know, the future of OSINT goes, OSINT was around before, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine with, with like, the major accounts, like, um, like Intel Crad, um, Intel Doge, uh, Elint News, um, Technical, all those, all those big accounts. OSINT's not going anywhere. Activity might decrease because, you know, there's not an actual conflict going on or an actual war going on. But the OSINT's still going to be there. I know that my focus is going to shift more towards uh, doing future analysis, looking for, you know, looking at potential hotspots where, where a new war could start up. So kind of future operation planning type aspect. But for the, for the open source community, for, you know, the rest of the world to see and understand based off information that's been provided. And last thing I'd like to say is, you know, how close we've all gotten to each other. Grammar, Defender, OSINT, um, Spook, everyone, we've all gone really close. Like, I know for a fact that I probably spend more time talking to my friends in the OSINT community than my friends in real life. We've all gotten incredibly close with each other. Um, I struggle with PTSD from my time when I in the military. And I know I, I had a really, really hard time one night and literally talked with Spook for probably about two, three hours on the phone till I was good. Honestly, I'm so glad that I've gotten to know such a great group of people. I wish that, you know, I could have met him without Russia having to be a dick and deciding to invade Ukraine. But I'm glad that I have them. They're, they're an amazing support system. And yeah. Thanks for that, man. I, I, I appreciate you being so candid with us. You know, we've got, what, 250 people listening in and another couple thousand will listen to the episode. So I, I think it's it's powerful. I, I felt like that during when I first joined Clubhouse. It's very different context, but sort of, you know, you really do come to me. And I all I could say, and Defender, before I come to you, that you guys are on a different level to me. I could tell you guys had a relationship going already when we launched, uh, made the group chat, and you were chatting stuff, and I was like, I have, I can't even keep up with the with the banter, uh, with the with the level of uh, you know uh, sort of innuendos going on over here. So it was, um, I'm really glad you guys have sort of in such dark times that you you guys have sort of come together through it. It's a very small sort of positive thing um but i think that's how many people probably feel in in this regard you know i've spent time in grandma's rooms i've spent times in aaron's rooms other people who have joined us on stage tonight and uh you know i feel like i know them uh they probably think i'm all over the place based on who they how they hear me say and then i meet some people in person and it's an amazing experience but defender um love to come to you finally for for your comments uh your thoughts and then we'll open it up to some uh, some other people um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, I, pro- I probably talk more with Intel than I do with most of my friends in the real world. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely busy with work, so I don't really get much time to talk with them either way. But yeah, I mean, it, Intel has, has definitely become one of my, my closest friends. And uh, I, I feel like we will continue to talk for years and years to come. Uh, e- even if we don't continue OSINT or people break off from the OSINT community, which is, is bound to happen with, with certain people. I mean, people people that are big in the OSINT community will go on hiatuses for months to years to, I mean, to a couple of days. I mean, just it just really depends. It, all of this, for us at least, is a side job. So, I mean, it's, it's not any of our uh, – we're not really getting paid to do any of this. I haven't made a single cent from OSINT. 
Um, I, I know some other people do have donations and apparel and other stuff. Uh, shout out to Spook for his amazing t-shirts. But uh, <laughs> I personally don't make any money off of OSINT. Uh, I eventually, I know that probably I'll have to step away for a while, a year or so, maybe, if not longer, um, just because of what's going on in my life and, and my, my work. But I know that I'll always continue to be close with most of these people that I've met within the OSINT community. Whether the entire OSINT community will hold up after the war is over, I, I personally don't think so. I think the big accounts will continue and stay big, and I think most of the smaller accounts will probably die off, sadly, um, or will go back to whatever they were posting about before or will be sold to uh, people that want to buy them. I mean, I mean, there's... There, there, there's tons of ways that this could go, but I, I feel like the size of the OC community will definitely shrink drastically after this uh, after this war is over. I think. Uh, could that. I add something off that? Um, I think I think he defender just hit on a really good point. Half of the the vast majority of the OSINT community is small accounts or smaller accounts, and they serve a major role in the ocean community but as time progresses like like before ukraine um got invaded by russia my account i had i I struggled to get up to 400 followers um even in the months leading up to the invasion i didn't want to post i didn't want to do stuff it wasn't really getting anywhere My, my whole purpose for the account was to try to provide timely accurate information that a battlefield commander would have to the general population but I wasn't able to do that. Um, and since I wasn't able to do that, I didn't really have the drive to actually make posts. Like, I don't really care if my posts get a whole bunch of likes or get retweeted a lot, but I want people to actually see them. Um, so I feel like for that one reason that, that Defender brought up, a, a lot of the OSINT community is kind of going to shift off and do their own thing at the end of this. Really heartfelt stuff, guys. Um, I'm fearing teary-eyed, I must be honest. Um, but I want to just... Um, come in to say to everyone if you join in um i'm gonna uh, come to a couple of friends for a couple of audience questions and then i'm gonna end the podcast but we'll keep the room going uh, for probably another hour uh, i know a couple of the speakers will probably bounce off sooner but you know this is an important topic and there's so many of you who are as intel hub rightly points out smaller accounts but are as crucial to the work that i want to bring up on stage and we have a broader discussion but as i say this space is um i like to record my podcasts in them because it adds for what i call social podcasts it's an interesting experience in and a degree of authenticity that you don't get from some of the detached you know very smarmy um you know one so uh, i'm just going to go to a couple of friends and then i'll open it to those of you who have your hands raised don't go i'll come to you i'll raise you bring you up and those of you with you waiting to come up i'll bring you up as well but i'm going to go so thank you for that guys michael you've done a fair amount of this work as well and helping me co-host tonight love to have your thoughts love to hear your your questions or or pushbacks how do you feel about the discussion we've had tonight I think that it's been uh, helpful, particularly to those who wouldn't have been familiar with the field. And so toward the end of the discussion there, we, we got into what happens next. And I was curious uh, what thoughts you guys have for those people who, like you, you know, they're not doing this professionally, but they want to stay involved. Um, I think it may have been Intel Hub who suggested that he's going to keep his eye out on, you know, for hotspots around the world. I know that there are other accounts who are also currently tracking, you know, events in Africa, for example, where there are there's a was a coup just the other day. But for those who want to keep their hand in it, um, how would you suggest that they engage going forward? Should it maybe join up one of the Discord channels? Are there places where they can go to hone their skills? I know Bellingcat has some courses. What would you suggest for people who want to uh, be ready the next time these types of skills are needed? One of the first places I'd say is, is going to be Discords. Um, like, for example, Defender Dome. Um, little shameless plug right there. Um, but, in, like, Boeing Cat, um, any, any Discord is going to be a good place to at least get a community going and, you know, have friends and, and hone your skills like that. Also, keep making posts. Like, honestly, do analysis, make posts. Because I know for, like, myself and others, I keep my eyes out for people that are good analysts and 
have a good eye for things when it comes to OSINT who don't really have many followers. Like there, there was an account that I found like four days ago. He had a few hundred followers, but I realized his, his stuff was really good. So I brought him into our group chat and we started helping him out and growing him. Um, it's all about mentorship. I think. Yeah. I would just, I would just second that. I think discord predated this. I think it will live through it. And I think, um, it will be probably the main place for people without a huge influence um, to gain the skills that they would need to gain influence. If that is something that they're interested in, um, if they wanted to move into professionally, I know a lot of nonprofits um, would love help um, when it comes to OSINT analysis. If you want to do this and there's nothing to analyze on Twitter, then that is a great way to do it. Thanks man. Defender, do you, th- you got anything? Um, I agree with both and, uh, and Intel a lot. Uh, one of my main goals when I started to get bigger, try and create a community where I could teach people more about OSINT um, and get, get people more into it. Uh, sadly, I've, I really haven't had much time to do that. That was one of my main goals with the Defender Dome was to try and create a community where people wouldn't just share information where people could learn to aggregate information and geolocate uh, satellite imagery and, and, and tons of other things. And I still am wanting to do that. And I plan to do that in the future. Hopefully after the war is over, I'll have more time to do that. But I mean, the biggest thing that I would tell a lot of these smaller accounts when this is over and they feel like they don't really have a purpose I guess to continue forward is, I mean, you got to kind of pick out your own niche in the community. I mean, people need, you you need to choose whether you're going to cover North Korea or whether you're going to cover Africa or whether you're going to continue to cover Europe or whether you're going to cover this or that or flight tracking or satellite geolocation. Because if you, if you try and do everything at once all over the world and doing every single type of OSINT analysis, you're going you're gonna to wear yourself out. I mean, you're going to get bored of it and you're going to, uh, you, you're going to, um, and I mean, you'll act, you'll, you'll kind of uh, come to the point where it's a job and you never want it to be a job. You always want it to be a hobby. I do this as a hobby completely and I love doing it. But when I feel burnt out, I kind of back off a little bit because I know that I need to. But that's about it. Thanks, man. Um, and Michael, for your question. Um, and I want to come to, for the final, you know, input for tonight is someone we've mentioned, you guys have mentioned a lot. Uh, she was probably the first space I went to. Uh, Intel Hub was the first account I think I probably started in chatting with in the community. But Grammar, your space. I remember your spaces at the beginning of 2022 were so heartfelt and open. Um, and you've been listening for much of tonight. And I wonder what your thoughts were and if you had anything you wanted to add. Um, just real quick, I wanted to kind of offer something on the that last question about, you know, how to stay engaged if you're interested. Kind of like on that part about burnout and stuff, especially like find something. Look, You can also look at it not necessarily from, you know, an expertise or a um, – geographical location but also like why you're interested in OSINT or why you're interested in like the OSINT for you know what we're tracking with Ukraine and stuff it's like are you more is it something that you felt compelled to do because it's humanitarian or because you know you want to learn about a certain thing or something like that just kind of like looking at it from a that motivating factor because then you can go pretty much anywhere you can find places in the world that kind of are going to need that drive anywhere i think i'm making sense but um yeah you always make sense grammar um awesome (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't um, usually make sense in my brain but somehow it does coming out of my mouth so oh it does i've got some translating there The work you've done for for this community, uh, along with all our uh, main three speakers tonight, 
and Michael is uh, is is integral. Um, I, I don't think I can put enough, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, a description properly the role of of you guys, but also broadly what you represent. I very much am not just in this community, which is why, despite my line of background, I became almost obsessively hanging out in these sorts of spaces because I was learning so much about them um, and also the great sense of, um, uh, I don't know, camaraderie, um, but also lack of sort of, it's not pretentious. And um, you make information very, very relatable and accessible for people who care about what's going on, but not necessarily want to sort of look at it from some overly... I don't know, academic and sort of nerdy sense. Um, but with that, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Global Gambit. Um, but I've been your host, Piotr. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Thank you. Thank you were listening to the Global Gambit. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, subscribe and leave us a review. We would especially appreciate it if you left a comment on why you valued this episode and what you took away from it. Doing so helps us to be discovered by new listeners who would really enjoy our content. Want to support us further? Do so by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the global gambit, where you can get additional perks and even be featured in upcoming episodes. We actively invite you to follow and engage with us on social media at the global gambit. Got any feedback or suggestions, such as potential guests? Get in touch at theglobalgambit at gmail.com. Lastly, don't be shy. Download the Clubhouse app, listen in in real time, and even participate with questions or comments to the guests and host Piotr. But until next time, this is The Global Gambit. <laughs>